Welcome to. Oh, hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. I see our screens are slightly off. We're going to get Super Producer Daniel Westoff on that here in a moment. But of course, welcome in everyone on today's show. We've got another edition of The Deciding Point for all of you college tennis fans. Our weekly breakdown of everything that happens in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesday nights, we break down everything in the Division I. Women's College Tennis World. And on today's show, we've got so many different results to discuss. We're about a month away from knowing who will be competing in the 2023 NCAA tournament. As such, every match that much more important in our thoughts on this season moving forward. Of course, we are now in the thick of conference play across the country as well as such. We have significant results, closely fought results, dramatic results, just all sorts of results to discuss on today's show. And joining me as he does each and every week to break it all down is a man you know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, the founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, and a man who we had to get his shot just right before we introduced, looking wonderful as always. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I had a little PTSD from the way our images were being shown for a second because it was like all black in certain spots. And I was like, <laughs> I cannot lose power again. This is the first <laughs> Tuesday night I have had power in four weeks. So I'm very happy to be here, happy to have power. And things are great. No, well, that's the tennis gods blessing you, Jay, for continuing to show up each and every week to do this show. I know we're immensely grateful for that fact. But has it set in for you yet. I was having this thought throughout the course of the weekend, and we're fortunate enough to get to call so much of the action. We appreciate all of you who have tuned in to our Crack Rackets broadcast on ESPN Plus, SEC, ACC Network Plus. We have a lot of fun with them every Friday and Sunday. Of course, shout out to Perry Shinen, who hosts one of those shows on Friday, as well as our Big Ten coverage each and every Sunday. Has it dawned upon you yet, Jay, that we're about seven weeks, eight weeks out from this season being over. I mean, it's time for the home stretch. It has dawned on me for two reasons. The first is when I start looking at, you know, weeks ahead and matches on the schedule, there are some teams with only four or five mm -hmm. matches left on their schedule. And then the real kicker is that I have put in my PTO. So <laughs> I, I know that this uh, NCAAs is coming and I'm looking forward to it. That's very well said. It is when you're scrolling through a team schedule, you're looking at their record, you look what you have left and you're scrolling all the way down and you can see the conference tournament tab yep. and you're like, there oh, you OK, that's April 17th through the 19th or whatever that weekend may be. Yes, it is striking to have reached that point of the year. And again, that's why we have so many results to break down today, because Everything's significant, whether it be in the race for the top eight, the race for the top 16, the race just to get into the NCAA tournament, some teams fighting the 500 rule as well. Everything matters down the home stretch, all the leeway, all the space you had to build. 
that's done with. And so from here on in, again, we are looking at everything with an eye towards that NCAA tournament in May. We've got plenty of results to break down, whether it be what's happening in the SEC, whether it be, of course, the big result in Texas, the Longhorns earning their first signature victory over Iowa State. Virginia takes that always treacherous Florida swing in ACC play. Plenty of action out west as well. We'll get into that. We'll get into our rankings. I want to ask Jay, though, if he and I have undersold one of the biggest stories of the season as well. We've got that for you later in the show. We'll get into the week ahead as well. So much in what promises to be a very fun episode of The Deciding Point. Of course, the reason we're able to do these shows week in, week out is because of the support we get from all of you college tennis fans. We're so grateful. So many of you choose to join us here every Tuesday night. Of course, we on Wednesday nights break down all the Division One men's action as well. Shout out to all of you fans, players, coaches who make this such a fun experience for us here at Crack Rackets. Of course, a massive shout out as well to our dear friends at LS, proud sponsors of each and every week's episodes of The Deciding Point. Now, I'm not repping LS gear tonight, but I usually am. Again, whether it be the hoodie, whether it be the polo shirt, whether it be just about anything in their catalog, I promise you're going to look good. You're going to feel good. You're going to play good. Win rocking LS gear. A shout out to our dear friends at LS for their continued support of the deciding point to learn more about everything they offer. Just click on the link in the description to this episode. With all of that said, Jay, Let's get into what was, again, a jam-packed week in the Division I college tennis world. And I think the place we have to start is with that battle in Texas. Of course, the University of Texas, they're the two-time defending champions and, you know, two very different national championship stories, right? It was very clear to us in 2021 that team was going to be good. From the moment they were put together, we were fortunate enough to be at the national indoors. They had North Carolina on the brink up three, one Carolina ultimately able to overcome, uh, what was it? Six, four, four, one deficit. I think Scotty trailed Shavathapan at that number four spot. She flips it. They win the match four three, but you knew from then onward. And that's February that that Texas team was going to be in the national championship hunt last year was a little bit different. They had a lot of those pieces back. They had to work in some new pieces, right? Uvrutsky, Shiva, Zainalova, and uh, Zemaripa. Zemaripa. All yeah. these different pieces uh, that weren't quite ready at the national indoors in February, but the moment the NCAA tournament started and throughout Big 12 play, you saw those freshmen begin to click. You saw this team mold into what it became come May by you know the start of April, mid-April, certainly by the start of that NCAA tournament. We hadn't seen this Texas team go on that sort of run quite yet. Now, of course, Texas was fine. At the national indoors, they went two and one. They got a big win over Oklahoma. They were knocked out by Iowa State in the quarterfinals, but still two and one for a group that's working in the Nicoles, Kieran, Rivkin. You're working in uh, Ataya Pachkaleva, obviously. Uh, again, all these different pieces onto their roster. They go two and one at that event. Win a you know drop a match to Stanford at home. Win a couple of conference matches. Drop one to Oklahoma State. A tight four three contest. Obviously, you know, still looking for that signature victory. Yes, they beat Oklahoma again, but they finally get it 
at home via victory over Iowa State. Now, this was a really good match, Jay. Ultimately, it ends up with a lopsided scoreline, 4-1 for the uh, four one and six one for the Longhorns. But look, Texas rolled in doubles. That's something they hadn't done a lot of in their big matches this year. More importantly, they separate themselves at the bottom of the lineup to get three three set victories. I know they were after the clinch, but three three set victories at the four through six spots to see Zane Alova, who was so good during Texas's run last season, get a win over an OB Kachurder who has been downright unbeatable at the two spot for Iowa State. Texas finally got its signature victory, Jay. Yeah, this was a great win for Texas, getting that revenge from indoors. It's funny you mentioned the bottom of the lineup. Uh, I, I knew that this was going to be a different match for Texas when they came out so strong in doubles. Right, Iowa State has been extremely strong in doubles. They, you know, took the doubles point easily at indoors. So for Texas to take the doubles point, you know, six three at two, six two at three, that kind of set the tone. And I actually think where they set themselves apart was at two and three, where they flipped their lineup. They had Zainalova at two, Shavathpan at three. I think a, a really good matchup choice for them uh, against Kajuru and Kadlachkeva. And ultimately, getting the straight set wins there at two and three took significant pressure off this Texas team to go up 3 0. I don't think they separated themselves at the bottom of the lineup at four through six. I think, interestingly, coming into the season, you thought, four through six was going to be where Texas was going to be extremely unbeatable and maybe be only go toe to toe with a North Carolina at four through six, but otherwise it's going to be tough for teams to catch up. That hasn't been the case this season. That wasn't the case against Oklahoma state where they got swept at four through six. And yes, they came out and got wins at four five and six, but it was all three sets. The players I'm most impressed with coming away from this match was Zainalova and Shavathban who looked to be stepping into their NCAA winning form. Well, as always, you're right, and I want to start with the doubles side of that equation because you look at the numbers for Texas, who are 14-3 and three overall, and again, who were the losses to? Stanford, not a bad loss. That was about 5-2, pretty tightly contested matches. Obviously, the loss at the indoors, Iowa State kind of blitzed them. 4-3 yep. Oklahoma State is what it is. This team is 28-11 and 11 in individual double sets. That sounds pretty good. You know, no team has more than 10 wins, right? No team has more than eight wins. It's been pretty patchwork. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. it's you, sometimes it's there. And they've only played seven different combinations, which given all of the options they have, whether it be the players who played in singles against Iowa State, you have a Marley Zane, who of course is there on the bench and has had plenty of success, singles and doubles in her career. You're right. It was the rhythm they had in doubles from the start against Iowa State that was so impressive. Now, in terms of the depth, big picture, I agree with you. You thought that would be even stronger. But where I would flip it on you is I thought Texas looked really good. But I also think this just tells you that Iowa State is real. Like this just tells you that Iowa State goes on the road to Austin. Yes, they lose three matches, four through six. But to your point, all of them three set matches. You see a really good win from Naklo at that number one spot as well. And, you know, again, I think if you're Iowa State, 
you see Kavlikova, who's lost what, like three matches so far this year and has slowly worked yeah, her way I up think to that. Less. Yeah. And I think she slowly... was undefeated until about a week ago. And works her way up now to that number three spot in the lineup. Obi again has been rocks at that number two spot. She gets beat on the day. Okay. Sometimes that'll happen. I thought the flip side of this is that Iowa State is real. And if, you know, again, coming off of the national indoors, they hadn't lost since now. They hadn't played the most rigorous schedule, I would say, since the national indoors. This was their first or I wouldn't say their first, but their most serious test because Kansas was fine. You know, again, that road trip wasn't easy. They fought tough. Like what this really tells me is Iowa State. I don't know if they're firmly in the tier one conversation. I don't know if anyone is, but North Carolina anymore. But they're right in the mix with everyone else. And they absolutely can feel like, yeah, we can make Orlando. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. I I think you're right. I mean, I didn't have any doubts about them. I think that they've looked really strong since indoors. They didn't have a post indoors dip. But you're right. Kind of the heavy part of their Big 12 season is now. Right. They play Texas. Now they're going to go and play both Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So that's where they're going to be really tested here and kind of get the, um, you know, the bulk of that high end competition. But they've looked strong since indoors. I have no doubt that this is a top team. Again, uh, the only thing I was a little concerned about was doubles, because I do think that for this team to be successful, it requires taking doubles. And then I think they can get any other point on the board but it's going to be tough to take four. So for them, they need to find out kind of what happened there in doubles. How can they take a doubles point on the road against a team that's in form? Well, I think it's good that they got blitzed early because you mentioned it. These next two are on the road, right? They're at Oklahoma State. They're at Oklahoma. And here's the other thing to watch. Texas, nine in the latest ITA rankings. Iowa State's 10. Oklahoma State's 17. Oklahoma's in trouble. And we'll get to them a little bit later. Um, I don't know if the Big 12 is going to get a top eight seed. It's going to be really close. Iowa State probably can if they run the table, but that's almost what they have to do, right? They probably have to go 2-0 and here this weekend, Jay. Well, there's room for one. We said this last yeah, week. Sure. There's room for one. Whoever wins, you know, either wins out or wins the conference and wins the, the title, I do think will get into a top eight seed. But here's what I'm saying. If Oklahoma State and Oklahoma go and beat Iowa State this weekend at home, which is very much in the realm of plausible scenarios yeah where are the points like where are they going to play catch up yeah well that in that situation that hurts texas right because now texas is one of their best wins is devalued and it's going to be tough but i do think one of these teams i think is going to get in can i give you the counter i don't know if they do because if ohio state beats michigan and they have points to share between the two of them with what ohio state did in the non-conference play and both ohio state and michigan have a win over oklahoma state you know have wins over oklahoma like i don't know if there's enough i was looking at the texas resume and I mean this in both positive and negative connotation here's a 27 or 2018 alex comment Everyone's got to win over UCF because I was like looking through top four wins and like, what are every team's four best right now? And like, and I love coach Kenyako for scheduling the way he's scheduled. You got to give a shout out. Anytime a team's coming to Florida, he's like, Hey, come play us too. Well, they all want to go this year because of NCAAs is there. Very true. Again, uh, it's good scheduling. That's what I said. It's glass half full, but just about every, all these top teams have just about beaten UCF yeah. is what I'm trying yeah. to say. I think the ACC is like five and zero against UCF. Yeah. This and, and so the issue is like, Look, again, I think Texas's best wins 
because they didn't get the Stanford win. And I'm blanking on who they beat in the first round of the national indoors, but like two wins over Oklahoma is not as good as what the ACC, you know, Virginia already has a win over a Duke. You know, they're going to each, someone's getting a win over Miami. Miami's already got a win over NC state, all these different things. I just don't know if there's enough. Yeah. I mean, the one wild card here is that Texas still has NC state on their schedule. Yeah. Right. And so that they are best positioned to uh, make the top eight. Yeah. It probably requires a win there with NC state. So now I can go around the bend. That's exactly the argument where I wanted to end this Texas discussion is by winning this match, they're in the driver's seat. Like there's because now again, yes, they lost the Oklahoma State match, but you still have Big 12 ahead. You got your wins over Iowa State, over Oklahoma. They have a non-conference match with NC State, which is the lowest hanging fruit for points on the schedule for any of these Big 12 teams. If they run the table, they're the they're the one with the pathway to knock out an ACC school or maybe even knock out, you know, a Michigan or an Ohio State. And so, yeah, that's why this was such a big win is now this team's 14 and three. They've got some confidence. You mentioned it. Zainalova playing really well. You know, yes, I know she lost her match at the number one spot, but uh, Nicole Kieran's been the real deal. She's what, seven and three overall on the season. So really strong start in a, uh, for her. I think Rivkin's getting better as well. Uh, Texas is rounding into form. And yeah, that's cra- it's crazy because they have so many veterans. And yet it's very clear we have yet to see the best from Texas. But let's move on from there. Let's talk about the conference. Texas plans on joining in the very new future. That, of course, is the SEC. And I think the big thing coming off of this weekend in the SEC, and we're so fortunate to broadcast some of this action, you finally have some separation from some of these schools, particularly at the top. And let's start with another match here in the SEC that was far closer than the scoreline indicates. Georgia 4-1 win over Tennessee. Now, look, Georgia, I mean, for them to scrap their way out of the doubles point, Kutzer and uh, I'm blanking who she played. Kutzer and Tomase were serving for the set for the doubles point at the number three spot. They were up 5-4. They had all of this momentum. Credit to Kowalski and Riasco who grind their way out of that scenario. They rip off three straight games. Georgia escapes with the doubles point there. But I'll tell you what, there were a lot of really good first sets in this match. And, you know, what the big takeaway I think from this is, is you look for Georgia. What's the difference between them and Tennessee? And we've alluded to this all year. Tennessee's extraordinarily deep. They don't have the big guns. And you saw Leah Ma with the two and two win at one. Vid Minova put on a clinic. Oh, and one over Tomase. Like we had to, we literally, we were going through our introductions and we were like, we actually have to stay here with Vid Minova because she's about to win. And like, again, this is what makes this Georgia team so good is not only do they have depth, but they've got some big guns at the top of their lineup with how well Liam has played this year. Dasha Vidmanova in the conversation as well for the best. They have two players in the conversation for best player in the country. I mean, again, what this tells me is Tennessee is good, but they don't have those tier one big guns that Georgia has. 
Yeah, I think you were trying to make this a little bit closer than it really was. But this was a statement win from Georgia, right? I mean, they drop only a handful of games at one and two. They sweep the top three in straight sets. They take, what, four? And I don't know. If, so sorry to interrupt. It's just, yes, they won three in straight sets. But did you actually watch that Kowalski-Kutzer match? Like that, or, sorry, Kowalski-Kutzer, uh, Riasco-Kutzer yeah. match? Because... That match was a break fest that they were trading at the uh, in the second set at the number three spot. And I think any Daria Kutzer match is inherently two hours long and at least a little bit dramatic. But like, yes, they get three straight set victories on at on the top courts. Kutzer's right there at the end of the first and second sets. And if Tennessee flips that, they absolutely had the depth. And I think Lapata was winning at four. She had, uh, excuse me, Aaliyah was winning at four. She had the momentum over Lapata going into that third. Seemed to have found just, again, a way to make Lapata a little bit impatient. It, it, it Three was the swing match. And I'm saying, like, they lost on the back of Daria Kutzer on this day. Isn't that a proposition Tennessee, though, is fine with taking moving forward? That's why I can't say it was a blowout because it's like, yes, they lost three straight matches at the top three spots. Yes, one and two were always going to be an issue. But Kutzer was right there with Riasco. Like, you can't tell me on a neutral surface or at Tennessee that match couldn't have been flipped. Right. But then you also have, you know, Kowalski, who's up a ones that wins a very close set, but she does yeah. win the set at number one. She's up a set and four all, right? You know, Lapata's dead even in the third. Like, yes, the Riasco match was close, and each one of those sets felt like it was a, a back and forth, and then they kind of fell in the last moment right for Riasco. But you still had five first sets for Georgia. So you, they took doubles and five first sets. Like, I'm not sure blowout is the right word, but this was a statement win for Georgia on the heels of Tennessee doing what they did to ten, uh, to Auburn, right? So for Georgia to turn back around and win this 4-1 was a statement win to say we are at the top tier of the SEC and you are not Tennessee. I think that's the best way of putting it is there's clearly a tier of separation between these two teams. I guess my argument would be it's one tier, not two. And we probably knew that. But I think it's pretty confirmed that, okay, Tennessee might not be in that top eight hunt that the way the way Georgia is, but Tennessee is top 16 good with the depth that they present and with how well they competed again at most of these spots. And Ma and Vid Minova, who are two of the top 10 players in the country, that's a particularly difficult matchup for this Tennessee team to overcome. But you're right. Like you have to give credit to Georgia, who again – Outside of one really weird match in Columbus where everyone goes to die, like that Ty Tucker Tennis Center, you're just not winning there. Um, they are as good as advertised this year. Like they have been very good. Lapata getting more matches under her belt. Jay, shout out to this Georgia team who, again, after a really weird 2022, they're back where they've been for the past decade. Yeah, and the thing that also makes this victory impressive is they have not been good in doubles all season. I mean, yeah. they've been basically giving away doubles points in the SEC. So to get this doubles point is is a good way uh, to, to kind of turn that momentum around. But the concern is that Anya Hurdle has not been in the lineup. Yeah, and sure. I think that that's you know, a, an open question for this Georgia team moving forward because that adds to that depth. You see that Tennessee... Strong depth of them kind of takes GG 0-3 there at the number six spot. They need Hurdle back in the lineup if they want to be a tier one title contender.
you're right. I do like Gigi and Narendorn getting as many matches if they, as they've gotten this season, though. That's inevitably a good thing come May when either it's a matchup thing or someone does get a little dinged up and you have to play there. But, you know, again, Georgia begins to separate itself. I think Florida also, after the tough loss against Kentucky, what a week they had, obviously, to get some wins in SEC play. But perhaps most importantly, the 4-1 win on Wednesday over Michigan. They didn't just win that match, Jay. Uh, They gave Georgia – excuse me. They gave the Wolverines the business. And, you know, they take doubles, dropping just four games in the two sets they win. And then, you know, straight set wins from Dahlstrom at one, from Dudney at three, from D'Oliviera at five. They won four first sets. The business was given, and it's so interesting because last week we had that conversation about who are the tier two teams, right? If North Carolina is in a tier by itself or if they're tier 1A, who's tier 1B? And we were kind of wavering on Michigan. I mean, it's a tough outdoor loss, no doubt, for the Wolverines to lose three straight set matches, particularly in flights in Kari Miller, in Julia Fliegner, Gala Massachurito, who have been some of the staples for this Michigan team so far this season. But what it also tells me is that this young Florida team, they're getting better. And again, Dudney's a sophomore. I believe Galis and Vieira, freshmen or sophomores uh, uh, as well. They have, uh, I, I'm keeping an eye on Florida. They grind. Like it's a classic Florida team. They make you work. And Michigan wasn't ready for that battle. Yeah. And it's disappointing too. We saw this with yeah. Ohio state, you know, this is not either of their first outdoor matches when they go on the road. This is Michigan's second outdoor match heading down to to Florida and just looked overmatched, right? Overmatched and overwhelmed, right? And I said like a, two classic words I would use to describe this Michigan team when it comes to May, right? And they're playing outdoor tennis and just a disappointing showing by then. And, and you know, uh, Rachel Galis was match points, right? In this, in the second set, likely going to be, you know, five, one, maybe five, two or, or six, one. So this was not a close match at all. It was an impressive showing by Florida who clearly angered by that Kentucky loss without Sarah Dahlstrom at the top of that lineup, you know, coming in facing at the time, a top three Michigan team. I just feel like we're entering into the same song and dance territory with both Michigan and Ohio state where it's like, you know, they're going to go back indoors. They're going to play each other. They're going to end up top eight. And then we'll see what happens outdoors in May. See, I don't know if I'm quite there yet because Michigan looks fine on its West Coast swing. And I will just say California and Florida heat are different. They really are, Jay. And you have to get accustomed to it. Sorry, where's NCAAs this year? Here's the difference. If you're a top eight seed, where are you playing your first three matches? And so if your argument is that they're not going to win the NCAA tournament, fine. That's a different argument than saying... And I think half the battle is getting to the final site, right? You got to get to that final eight first and foremost. That is, I don't want to say a win within itself, but let's be clear. I think this Michigan team's made the quarters once, twice under head coach Ronnie Bernstein. And that is the short-term goal is getting to Orlando. And I think it's two different conversations, if that's fair. That is fair. Um Wow. I'm not used. I wasn't ready for that response. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. It's a big deal for Michigan to make the quarterfinals. So getting there would be a massive milestone. Yeah. And that that's where, again, if you're saying this loss, maybe they're out of that tier one B fine, but you can still get to Orlando and not be tier one B. And I do think, again, that's the short term goal. See, that's where I don't think you can. I think I think there if you're a top are eight seed. I th- I think there are 
a lot of teams that are not even going to be a top eight seed that are probably tier one B when it comes to May. Like, where's Stanford going to be ranked, right? Mm. Where's Texas going to be ranked? But what if that Stanford match gets moved indoors on a rainy day in Ann Arbor? That's why that's why they have to have that element is because they can still be top eight. And you just like, well, again, because you have to pray for rain. You no, know, you I, don't have to pray. <laughs> First of all, in May in Ann Arbor, you don't have to pray. It'll be there. Like you're going to get you're going to get an hour of rain. Um, yeah. No, I but, just it, it's just different. Like it's not the same. And uh, you're right. Like right now they're at an outdoor deficit. That was tough. Was it a night match? I feel like it was a night match. And I just want to say, you know, my thoughts on night matches, Jay. Unless you, Michiganders don't play under the lights very frequently. And it is something you have to, you have to practice to get used to. And otherwise you're just not going to be prepared for it. But again, Florida's up to number 16 right now in the live rankings. And I want to talk a little bit later when we get to the rankings about where things stand, because I actually think after last week, when we looked at that top 16, we were like, that makes no sense. I do think some things have settled down over the course of the past week. Nevertheless, let's move on from Florida and kind of rapid fire through some other SEC teams. We talk a lot about A&M. They had the Auburn test this weekend. And I do think it's pretty clear Auburn is in that top 16 discussion, not top eight at this point, although they somehow survived against LSU. And we'll get to that in a second. But A&M, 5-2 victory over Auburn in uh, at Auburn. A&M goes and wins the doubles point, Ewing and Goldsmith. Transitioning slowly but surely to that number one spot. Good win from Cooperson Stoyana at number two as well. And then, look, I like that they did it a little bit differently. It was Smetnikov. It was Cooperus. It was Morales with the straight set wins at three, five, and six. Jeanette Morales has been pretty darn good at that number six spot, Jay. And again, maybe AM goes from 1A to 1B following the loss of Carson Brandstein. But with Morales at six, I think they can sink, uh, sink no lower than 1B. Yeah, I agree. Right. I mean, she played six last year and she was, you know, very formidable there at six. So, you know, the the challenges is certainly going to be uh, Salma Ewing moving up to two. It's been a tough transition for her and she wasn't thriving at three either. Uh, but this was the match I actually thought was way closer than than the scoreline. I think Auburn really needed dubs, right? Auburn had taken dubs against Tennessee and Georgia and thought they could bank dubs against Texas A&M, who without Carson Brandstein has had to adjust, but weren't able to do it, only able to get, you know, the two singles wins, which were both great wins, right, for Arsenal at two, and then DJ Bennett at four, who's kind of rounding into form as one of the the freshmen on this team. But yeah, I mean, Texas A&M, clearly a tier 1B team, and, you know, starting to operate now, knowing that Brandstein's not going to be there. Yeah. Meanwhile, Auburn's the most entertaining team in the country. Every match they play has some sort of twist and turn. And, you know, they're on the brink of defeat at home against LSU. They drop the doubles point. Retro freshman Anastasia Komar straight set win at the number one spot. She's been excellent. We don't talk enough about her, but she's been excellent. Well, we're going to get to LSU in a second here. Today, we're making the time, Jay. And, you know, again, you look for this LSU team. I think they took four first sets plus doubles overall, but credit to Auburn. They lost three first sets at one, two, and six, and it was the veterans Arsenal Flack coming back, earning three set victories to help Auburn take the four-three win. They escape. Meanwhile, the next day or two days later, uh, uh, excuse me, LSU goes to Alabama, and it's Alabama who earns a four-two win over this LSU team. Here's my point, Jay. LSU's nine and six. 
Anastasia Komar has slowly elevated herself to the number one spot, which makes sense, by the way, because you look at what Komar has been able to do here this season. It has been ridiculous. She's now, uh, I believe it's 14-0 overall, 10-0 at the two spot. Four zero at the number one. No, fourteen and one. No, oh, it might be. I don't know. Oh. I'm, I was just in it's disbelief. I mean, yeah, yeah. you're waving. Yeah. You're you were shaking your head at me. Making yeah, me think I'm wrong. No, she's fourteen yeah. this year, so she's elevated to the number one spot. Kylie Collins is under five hundred, but at two, she gets the win over Bama, and you feel like she is going to have a little bit more success, certainly given what we saw from her at that spot last season. I like the freshmen they've brought in as well in Nikita Vizwazi. They've got players in Carrington, in, you know, Gaisler and Rabinowitz who have experience. And yet, you know, this Auburn team's nine and six overall. They're two and five in conference play. They've lost a bunch of heartbreaking matches, Alabama match, South Carolina match. I think they're at like 46 right now in the NCAA rankings or LSU right now is currently sitting, uh, excuse me, at number 43. They're like right on the edge. Mm. They're going to be a three seed or a four seed that goes to a region. They're going to beat someone, Jay. Like I still think I'm in, you know, my thoughts. Like I think coach Fogelman, it's year one. You're going to lose the tight matches always in year one. That's just the way how things roll. But this team is good. Like, they're getting calloused up. I think they've got pieces. Yeah, I do not feel the same way. Uh, <laughs> uh, Komar has been excellent. I mean, she's lost. I'm looking at the stats. She's That's lost a piece. Two, yeah, that is a huge piece. She's lost two sets yeah. this entire dual season. She's been unbelievable. Right move to move her up to one. That's going to be bigger tests for her, right? They're under 500 at five and six, right? They don't have the pieces when it comes to the depth. I think that that is going to be a big struggle. On paper, it helped to have Kylie Collins, arguably one of the better doubles players in the country. But as we saw last season at Texas, like the top of the lineup, she's not having success there. So, I mean, can they win around in NCAAs? Like, sure. Uh, Is that a good step forward for this LSU program who didn't make NCAAs last season? Absolutely. Yeah. Again, it's year one for Coach Fogelman. Here's what I'm saying. They're a talented team. Like they're just, you know, they're fun to watch because you never know exactly what you're going to get from Collins. Komar's just blitzing everyone early on the rise down the line. You're right. She's been the best player. We have not spent enough time talking about. Arrington's got some weapons. You know, Rabinowitz is down there grinding. I like Vishwazi and how she projects moving forward as well. It's just fun. They're fun to watch. And again, they've lost a lot of close ones and, Again, couldn't buy a win here this weekend, but keep your eye on this LSU team. Also, a story we haven't spent enough time talking about. How about Kentucky, Jay? Kentucky's pretty darn good. 12 and 7 overall, now 4 and 4 in conference play. They get a really impressive win over Arkansas. They also beat Missouri here this past weekend. Now, like again, when I look at the pieces on this Kentucky roster, a lot of grinders like they, they they're just in for the fight, whether it be, you know, a Molina, whether it be in a Ruscia, whether it be, you know, a Lydia Gonzalez or sophomore Ellie Edis, who I think have both really stepped up in their second year. This team's in the tournament hunt. And after going winless in conference play last season, Jay, that's a really nice story here. The resurgence, the bounce back season for Kentucky, who as of right now, Jay, they're sitting at number where 40. I don't know. I'll find them in the rankings in a second, but they're in the hunt. They're 51, 51. 
Yeah, they're they're in that. Hey, we still have a chance here towards the end of the season. I think what's been impressive about the Kentucky team is obviously they go winless in the SEC last year, but they're competing, you know, at the bottom half of the lineup with these teams. We talk about Tennessee's depth in particular, right? When this Kentucky team played Tennessee, look, they played them really close at five and six. You know, Zoe Hammond, you know, lost a, yeah. a tight two setter there, and then they had split sets at six, and so. That is a big coup to have uh, in the SEC to be able to compete at all of these positions, almost similar to Tennessee, where maybe not the marquee names at one and two, but they're hanging in there. Right. And even, you know, Arushia taking out Mertena last time they played Tennessee, like they have points on the board that they can get uh, in the SEC. They traded a loss at Ole Miss, which they should have had, for the win at Florida, which was the shocker. They'll take that trade. Yes. Had to beat Missouri. They do. Big win at Arkansas. I'll tell you what. They've got Auburn, Alabama at home this weekend. They are primed to beat Auburn at home. Like, that is upset alert central. There are going to be three set matches. That match is going to be three hours, and we will have it for you on our Crack Rackets Cross Court Cast this Friday on our ESPN SEC Network Plus broadcast. Why can't they win at Vanderbilt with everything going on with Vandy? And, you know, again, well, by the transitive property, right? They beat Arkansas. Arkansas beats Vandy. Kentucky should beat Vandy. Exactly. Arkansas, the 5 2 win over Vanderbilt. Here's what I'll say last regular season matchup for Kentucky. LSU at home. Tell me that one's not for all the marbles, Jay, to get into that NCAA tournament. I know we have the conference tournament right after that, but like I circle that as that's a bubble match. That's like you win that one. You're feeling like, okay, we probably get in. Yeah. Maybe I'm just a little more half uh, glass, half empty, but the loser that match does not get in. No, that's what I'm saying is the winner (laughs) gets in. It's an elimination match. Well, that I still think is a question mark. All right. I like it. I like it. Well, it's one you circle no matter what. And, you know, again, we talked about Arkansas Vanderbilt. We did a whole Vanderbilt segment last week, so I don't want to do that again this week. But, like, they can't buy a win. They just can't. It's it's crazy to see. And, again, the SEC always delivering us drama, but let's move on now over to the ACC. I mentioned it in our introduction. One of the most interesting swings in all of college tennis is anytime a team goes down to Florida and has to play those at Florida state at Miami weekends, you got to adjust to the South Florida weather. It's not always the most enjoyable flight from Tallahassee to Miami and vice versa. It's adverse conditions. And this weekend, it was Virginia, who was one of the, you know, a top 10 team coming into the weekend. You know, they take that South Florida swing first. They head down to Miami. Miami, who got a win over NC State recently after losing to Syracuse earlier in conference play. But clearly, it's the Miami team that beat NC State. That's the real Miami team moving forward. As Miami doesn't just beat Virginia, they get them 6 1, Jay. And, you know, again, when I look at this Miami team, they're winning doubles points now. They get wins from Fenning and Noel at two, Chung and Tahan at one. Of course, let's be clear, Miami produced the NCAA doubles finalists last season. So we know Coach Twos can coach them up uh, in terms of how their system works. But one in three win from Noel at one, two in one win from Chung at two, two in one win from Fenning at three. And like, Call me crazy. 
I really like their bottom three of Bach, Collins, Mack, and Tahan at four, five, six as well. This Miami team is freaking good. They're trying to position themselves for one B tier uh, consideration, Jay. Yeah. I, so I'm a little embarrassed because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I previewed this match on my show and I thought this was going to be super close. Just looking at on paper, it was like strength versus weakness, weakness versus strength. Like you were just like not sure where the, you were, knew where some of the wins would come from. You knew Alexa Noel was going to get a win at one, but ultimately not sure how it would pan out. Both of these teams have been solid in doubles. Uh, you know, Miami has been solid, like you mentioned, and this was not close at all. I mean, losing like 10 games in the top three positions. I mean, this was a blowout from Miami. What was interesting about this match is coming into it, Virginia, top 10 team, is in the driver's seat for that number two seed in the ACC because they went one and one against North Carolina and Duke. They banked that win. If they win out, they win. And it helps that Miami, who's already beaten NC State, took a loss to Syracuse. So Virginia, prime position. to If they get this win over Miami, they're basically locked in as a two seed. And it, things really fell apart for them in the Miami Heat. Um, so it was a great win for Miami. You know, I'd like to see them do it uh, outside of Miami, right? Uh, you know, we saw them go on the road at Texas A&M. I was a little underwhelmed. Um, but overall, a great win for them. It was nice to finally see Natasha Subosh at number one for Virginia. Uh, finally see that debut, but overall, just a great win for Miami. Is Iowa State's best win this season their win over Miami at Miami during the kickoff weekend? Well, or Texas it indoors. Those are yeah. the two best wins. I mean, maybe it's at Miami with the well, slopes Miami's taken. That's what I'm saying. It's and just, at Miami, true. I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Outdoors yeah. and so – like, again, that's actually Iowa State's like, I mean, that's their best win. Like, that's why it's them versus Texas at this point for that top eight seed consideration. Um, yeah, Miami's just freaking good. Like, Fenning and Achung are unreal, and they're two and three. Like, yeah. in, uh, three and two, excuse me. And, like, Alexa Noel's back to her form. She beat Schneider a couple weeks ago to one and three Subash. Like, it's a really good win over uh over again uh the number one player for Virginia. They destroyed Virginia Tech the next day as well. When Miami beats you, they just destroy you. Like it, it's really impressive to see this run they've been on. Now again, I want to see uh their matchup because uh, they haven't played North Carolina right yet, no. right? And so I need to see that. Yeah, yeah I want to see them Duke. And by the way, those up. are coming up this weekend, and we'll yep. talk about them in a second. And those matches are on the road for Miami. Might even end up indoors. It's a really good win, though, for the Hurricanes. And again, they inch closer and closer to that top eight position. And you feel like if you're the ACC, obviously North Carolina is going to be a top eight seed. Can you get two more or three more? That's the question. There's certainly going to be at least two top eight ACC teams. Will there be three? I would venture yes. There might be four if they keep beating one another up. But but you bank on three, and you're right. Virginia was in that driver's seat. They had you know they they had the opportunity to control their own destiny. Now they fall a bit behind. Miami elevates itself. It's right there now with Duke team with one loss. Obviously Virginia now has one loss. NC State has the one loss. Miami has the one loss. Probably two of those teams end up as top eight seeds. And that's why Virginia not losing to Florida State the next day was so important. Virginia bouncing back 4-3 victory. Win doubles fairly straightforward. 
Virginia also getting uh, straight set victories from Subash at the number one spot. They get a straight set victory uh, from Ziadato at five. Sophomore Lane Trevinsky was the one who held on. 6-2, third set win over Lancelot. Lancelot, the lefty, serving and volleying down the home stretch of that second set. It was a delightful match to be on the broadcast for. Where are you with this Virginia team? They have a shot. Are, can are they top eight good in your mind? They obviously still have a shot at top eight, but are they top good? Top eight good to you? Because certainly it's all names we know. Yeah, but the, and the name we don't know, we haven't seen Annabelle yeah. Shue, right? I think that's the big question mark. When does she come back? If she comes back, and is she at the form that she was at at indoors, where she was going to be in a you know a seven fifty type player, winning seven fifty percent of her matches at like four? pushing, you know, a Ziodato down even further. That's, I think Annabelle Shue in the lineup puts them at like a number eight caliber. Without her, I think they're going to be on the outside looking in. Could very well. Virginia, Michigan round of 16. You could see that rematch happening. A uh, match we saw mm-hmm. obviously at the national indoors. That could be a very fun one. No, I mean, again, they needed to bounce back. They do. Virginia, one and one on their Florida swing. There were a bunch of other fun ACC matches throughout the course of the weekend. Clemson, Georgia Tech, both 4-3 winners over UCF. You had NC State 4-2 over Notre Dame. Notre Dame, though, smoked Wake Forest in South Bend. You know, I think they won set, uh, six straight set matches. They won two bagels in doubles, 0-0 uh, at the two and three spots. I mean, like, Notre Dame looked really good this weekend. They looked like the team we saw beat USC in the kickoff. But speaking of USC, let's now head out west because I don't want to break my under an hour promise to you, John J. Parsons, and to all of our listeners moving forward. Although, again, everything matters a little bit more, so there are more results for us to break down. Let's talk now about a fun weekend out west because I do think it was a really fun you know, again, we had the Stanford, Cal, USC, UCLA foursome this weekend, and uh, I think we had some notable results. Let's start with Stanford. 5-2 win over UCLA, but perhaps more importantly, they escape with another 4-3 victory over USC. And, I mean, look, this USC team, they have lost some heartbreakers here this year. This time, it's Yepafanova coming back uh, from a set down. She earns a 3-6-7-6-6-3 win to clinch the match at the number three spot over Aaron Cayetano. Now, the big news, you, of course, tweeted out Angelica Blake playing at the number one spot for the first time in her career. Connie Ma moved to two, Yepafanova at three. You had a really fun match between a couple of talented freshmen, Emma Charney, the three-set win over Alexis Blakina. It was really good tennis across the board, Jay. Again, indicative of the level USC is capable of playing at when healthy, when they have Naomi Chung, as they did today, available to them. But Stanford needs to win out if they want to be in the top eight conversation. They get two good road wins over two improving teams better than their ranking in UCLA and USC. Yeah, I heartbreaker for USC. I mean, there was a moment there when, you know, Maddie Sieg at number one was starting to pull away in the third set against Angelica Blake. And almost simultaneously, Aaron Cayetano and Emma Charney both had match points in their second set. Emma Charney had like six of them. And, you know, Emma Charney loses her second set. Aaron Cayetano the dumps same the Emma Charney, at, by the way, just a reminder, who had Bunyawi Timchaiwat on the brink at, as at well. At match point in second yes. set. Yeah. And then Aaron Cayetano dumps a forehand or misses it. At her match point at Deuce sends it to a tie break. Yep, if Finova wins. I mean, 
they were two points away from winning this match. Emma Charney obviously ends up winning that match in the third set. So it's a good victory for her. But Yepa Fanova pulls away. Brutal for USC. It would have been a great win for them on the road. But yeah, I mean, Stanford looking decently strong. They need to figure out doubles. It's kind of always a weak spot for them. But, you know, they got wins at different places throughout the lineup. It was very interesting to see Angelica Blake at number one. We'll see how long that lasts since she went 0-2 this weekend. Um, but you feel like both UCA, USC and UCLA are improving and they're getting better. And I would throw Cal into the mix. Um, well, so. that's where I want to go next because Cal splits the weekend. Yeah. 5-2 win over UCLA, which God, they needed 4-3 yep. loss to USC, which, oh my God, did USC need as a bounce back. And, you know, again, this Cal team might be your most fascinating team of 2023 Cal right now. And we've talked about this in the past five and six played 11 matches. April starts this weekend. Jay yeah, played 11 matches, five and six overall. I have no idea how good this Cal team can be. And we know some of the pieces, obviously Giovara, El Sola, Weirsholm, Villermoller, what they're all capable of doing when healthy. I mean, again, they needed that win over UCLA so badly. They get it. I don't know. Looking at their schedule, huge weekend for them coming up, obviously, as they're going to uh, take on the Arizona squads, both those teams in the tournament conversation. So, again, if Cal wants to get themselves back into tournament play, they got to get both of those victories. They still have Pepperdine on the schedule. Then they end with Washington and Stanford, which could both be losses, even though those matches are at home. Like, those are not going to be easy. They're going to flirt with the 500 rule. It's a really good team. Like, again, Cal, USC, UCLA, they're going to be three-seeded floaters in NCAA regions who in that portion of the year, outdoors, I'm going to want no part of any of those teams. Yeah, I mean, Cal's clearly getting better. I think Katja Weirsholm is getting a lot healthier. You saw Valentina Ivanov make her, I think, dual season debut after being out for injury. So, and they were, I mean, the karma gods, if they took it from USC against in that Sanford match, they gave it against, yeah. uh, you know, Cal. I mean, Cal was in the absolute driver's seat there in prime position to win that. And USC came back in so many third sets, uh, ultimately getting the clinch from Naomi Chung. So, look, I mean, this is going to be a really interesting Pac-12 home stretch, right? Seeing how these teams end up. And the wild cards are Arizona State and Washington, the two teams that have like some points that these California teams can feast off of. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting weekend. Again, Cal need all these teams needed wins, except for maybe UCLA after they got their win over Ohio State, because UCLA is not going to be a top 16 team, but they're pretty firmly ensconced in that NCAA conversation now, although they need matches under their belt. And, yeah. you know, again, two tough losses, uh, but certainly, again, for Cal and USC, I think there's more of a desperation to the weekend. And so for USC to bounce back, get the win over Cal, for Cal to get their win over UCLA, all those teams are sneaky solid. Again, all uh, USC we thought was going to be a top 10 sort of team yeah. to start the season. Slowly but surely, they're starting to look like it more and more. I would say, though, you know, again, it wasn't just the Pac-12 action that got intriguing out west this weekend. How about the Oklahoma weekend? And it's time for us to have the Oklahoma talk. Oklahoma, 
dropping a 4-2 match that was really fun against Pepperdine. And, you know, it was a match that saw Lane Sleeth get a much-needed victory over Janice Chen. It saw Emma Staker back to her three-set ways at the number five spot. You know, it even saw Carmen Corley and Sasha Pisareva play really fun matches at numbers two and four, but, you know, they dropped that match 4-2. And, you know, that's obviously they drop the doubles in that match. They come back, they take the doubles against San Diego. They drop three straight set matches against San Diego, ultimately drop that match 4-1 overall. Oklahoma is not going to be a top 16 seed. And I, I mean, again, Everything. This is almost the Texas 2021 2022 scenario, right? Where everything. The men. You right. should say yeah, the, the men. Yeah. Thank you. The men. Thank you. Where everything breaks right for you. You win all these four, three matches. You get to the semifinals. The next year, for some reason, the breaks go the other way. And like, again, they were right there with Pepperdine. Czar and Corley, 7 5 in the third. You know, Tim Chaiwan and Pisareva are into a third set. They're just. The problem is the next day, again, San Diego gives them the business. Like, it's just, again, Staker's not as automatic as she was last year. And, you know, Corley and and Pisareva, they won about 70% of their matches last season. They're at about 50 to 60% this year. Salith, same deal, was a really slow start. Although you do wonder, getting back outdoors, what how that will help her. I don't know. Where are you with this Oklahoma team? I mean, are they and now the USC, UCLA, like, sleeper category where it's they're not going to be hosting jay and short of running the table and winning the big 12 tournament they will not be a top 16 team yeah i mean if you're oklahoma you have to take the wins from that pepperdine match and i thought watching that match i was like this pepperdine i mean this oklahoma team is starting to get it back right they really needed doubles but i mean great win for sleeth at one great win for julia garcia at six and then they were fighting and it was the first time i'd really seen them fight super hard in that pepperdine match and they were keeping all of those matches close after that i was like okay they're going to roll over san diego and they're going to come away one and one feeling good to show up at that san diego match and do what they did it's not you just have to erase that from your memory i'm sure it was a heartbreaking loss against pepperdine but that's the team that you need to say this is the team we're bringing in back to the big 12 season because the team that showed up at San Diego is just not a team that is going to make it deep in the postseason. Yeah, they lost five first sets. And, and you know, again, after winning doubles, you can't have that. And right. that's been a theme too consistently for this Oklahoma yeah. team this year. Well, it's too inconsistent, right? You start to see flashes of it. You see the the flashes against Pepperdine and you go, OK, here, here we go. And then you show up against a San Diego team who, yes, they made indoors, but like, has not been that good since. Yeah. And that was a really tough loss. No, it, it hurts, especially because, again, Staker, Sleeth, I even think Garcia Ruiz losing to McBride, who's a, a really solid option for San Diego at six in the fashion she did three and six. I thought they had good weekends. Guzman, you know, t- that's a terrible matchup against Savannah Brodus. It's just, again, Brodus has so much time, all the time in the world. She's right there against Goldsmith in three sets. It's just like, again, you, you can't have Pisareva losing one and one. You can't, you can't lose five first sets after you win doubles. You just can't. That's what it comes down to. And so, yeah, 
Uh, Oklahoma is going to be the fr- it's going to be the friskiest twenty fourth ranked team in the country you've ever seen because obviously it's again very much the same core from last season and should they catch fire on the right day we saw them beat Duke at the national indoors we know on the right day how good this team can be they just haven't had those right days yet which maybe the tennis god according to the tennis gods means that they're due but you know again. That's everything that happened out on the West Coast. Now, I want to run through a bunch of other results with you here, Jay. Let's rapid fire through them. I'm just going to throw a result at you. You give me your reaction because we had a lot of other good ones I want to mention. Washington over San Diego 4-2. Is Washington top 16 good? Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. We did Arkansas Vandy already. Good bounce back 5-2 win for Michigan over Wisconsin, yes? It was, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, if you want anything else, feel free. Well, this is a Wisconsin team that's going to start, you know, tumbling down the rankings. Yeah, pretty quickly here. We mentioned Clemson, Georgia Tech, four three wins over UCF, Notre Dame, four zero over Wake Forest. I mean, again, that was quick in South Bend. NC State five two over Notre Dame. Any thoughts on those? Uh, I don't think no, NC State looks that good right now. I think there's a lot of holes in this lineup. We'll have to see when they start playing some of these top ACC schools. I'm very interested to see how that plays. I was excited to see Schneider play these matches, though. Miller hasn't been healthy all season. You're right. I think the best player on their team has been Alana Smith, which is both a burden and a blessing because it's great to see her healthy again. Great to see someone who was a top 15 player in the country regain that form. But with the falls they had, Rinchelli, Rajecki, Abrams, you just expected them to be locks in ways yeah. you're right. They haven't been this year. Yeah, and we missed Smith in at least one match this weekend, right? So I hopefully that's not anything serious. Yeah, very well said. I'll also say I would not want to play Georgia Tech. Like, ugh. Bilchev's so good. We haven't spent enough time talking about her. So there's your annual Bilchev mention. Duke, 6-1 over Syracuse. Syracuse also knocked off by UNC. Uh, Syracuse isn't going to be top 16 this year, Jay. I think we learned that officially. Texas Tech, 6-1 over Kansas. Not too shabby for the Red Raiders. Yeah, not something you love to see if you're you know, Texas or Iowa State wanting that Kansas team to stay kind of top 16. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, I think, the first win for new head coach there at Texas Tech in the Big 12. Um, so good to see him, him getting his uh, feet wet there. Yeah, and some other ones, just NCAA implications. Illinois is going to get in. 4-1 win over Purdue. They're looking good. Iowa, 4-1 win over Nebraska. These things absolutely matter on the margins. Air Force, 4-3 win over San Diego State. Shout out to Air Force. Appreciated the shirts they sent me uh, the other day. I'll be sure to rock them on a show coming soon. And then Fresno State, 4-0 win over Colorado State. Any other final thoughts, Jay? Are you ready for my final question at you? I am very ready for this final question. All right. Here's my last question, and it's not on our screen. I don't think Super Producer Daniel Westoff made a graphic for it. But here's my last point. North Carolina this weekend, victories over Boston College, over Syracuse. That was expected. The Tar Heels now 22-0 overall on the season. Here are the numbers. 86-12 and in individual dual match play in singles. 38-8, and excuse me, 35-8. and I'll learn how to read eventually in individual double sets. 
My last point to you before we end today's show, because we have not talked about the Tar Heels much since the National Indoors. There hasn't been much to discuss. They're steamrolling everyone. They're everything we thought Pepperdine might be last season, Jay. And I know you and I are a bit shy after that Pepperdine prediction went so astray last season. But my last point to you is, are we talking enough about this team? Are we sure this team isn't generationally good? Are we sure this team, which beats teams 4-0 in about 87 minutes annually, isn't just going to steamroll their way through everyone? It's just like they are as good as advertised. Frawley is 13-1. and Brandmeier is 13-1. and You know, Tran is 11-1. and Like, they're just like, everyone's winning. They're as good as advertised. They have Scotty on the part-time plan where she doesn't have to stress herself out each and every week in singles. And, you know, again, the whole system was they have seven top 30 players, so you can sit whomever you want to sit. They've employed that system to perfection. Like, they're as good as advertised, Jay. We have a once-in-a-generation team, and I don't know if we've talked about it enough. Uh <laughs> I, I, there's not really any words uh, to answer this question. Are we talking about <laughs> North Carolina enough? Uh, I mean, what what is there to say, right? We will discuss if this is a once-in-a-generation team if they win the NCAAs. These stats that you're listing, these records that you've shared, they all are true a year ago. They were all true two years ago when this team has steamrolled through the regular mm, season in the not ACC. Not last year. Not last year. Well, last year they didn't. Well, yeah, last year they were well, undefeated they until they lost to Duke, Duke, and then they in lost the last the match of the season as well. Yeah, but then they had two hiccups right at the end of the year. And where uh, are we today? Where are we today? Where are we today? Mar- yeah, but March I don't 28th. think. Yeah, but I still think this team wasn't just like I'm telling you, Jay. 87 minutes, like they they fuck people up. I don't know how else to say it. That's just they walk in, I, they punch you in the face, they shower, they leave. And I'm just saying we've seen it every year. We've seen it almost every year for a very long time. And now that's not to take away. But go on. (laughs) That's not to say what they're doing isn't like ridiculously impressive. It is. Right. And you look at some of these other teams that might have a really good year and then fall back. This North Carolina team does not do that. They are in the hunt. Number one team in the country every single year. It's very impressive. I don't know. What oh, there else is to say, though, other than, yes, they're coming off a weekend where they beat BC and Syracuse 6-1. They've probably done that every year for the past 10 years. Yeah, well, as we move to our rankings, they've been number one from the start. They're going to stay number one, probably even if someone does knock them off. Although, if Miami beats them this weekend, who knows? Yeah. I mean, they'll be number one regardless of what happens for the rest of the season. They're the so thing. far ahead from a points perspective. Well, AM, again, messes around. Uh, AM doesn't mess around, but they play close matches. There are three setters that decide things. For Georgia, they've played close matches where three setters decide things. Pepperdine, they play close matches where three setters decide things. Again, North Carolina fucks you up. Like, they're going to, even if they lose doubles, they're going to win four first sets in singles. It's going to happen pretty fast. Brant Meyer's off the court two and two against everyone. Like, it's just a joke how good she is at that two spot. Probably it might be four and five, but you know she's going to win. Like, Tangillig's going to win. Uh, one of Yarlagata and Tran is going to win. 
it's just it's so definitive. They are so clearly the number one. I guess that's where we start with our rankings. Not a ton of movement this week, obviously. Let Go me ahead. say this about North Carolina because I think that the nuanced take is that here is that relative to the field, this North Carolina team is better than they've ever been relative to the field. In every other year where they have racked up similar records, where they haven't gotten it done at NCAAs, there were other teams that I think were not, you know, that were closer in level to them. Except 2020. Because, again, do we, do we, can I, mean, I do the bit? No, the season that didn't happen. And we didn't even get this far in 2020, right? The season was already ended on March 28th. So, no, you can't do the bit, right? In the past, like, five to six years, right? At this point in time, relative to the field, I mean, they are head and shoulders above. There's no other year where this happened. I can't do the bit because I was there. I watched McKenna Jones at five and young Scotty and young Cam Mora and then Alexa and Sarah just do. I mean, again, I was there, Jay. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to do the 2020 bit there momentarily. But no, North Carolina is still your number one team. A&M number two for us. Georgia three. Pepperdine has worked its way up to the number four spot very quietly, very consistently. NC State five. Michigan six. Miami up to seven. Stanford up to eight. That's big because right now you have Duke at nine. Iowa State falling out to the number 10 spot. So for us, no top eight. Pac-12, excuse me, Big 12 teams right now, Stanford sneaking into the top eight. Your thoughts on this, Jay? Yeah, I think in doing rankings this week, five was the inflection point, right? I felt very comfortable at those top four teams. I had them in that order. Five was like, I I mean, I have no idea who's five. Um, I mean, I, I don't recall who I had there. I think I might have just kept Michigan there. But I mean, it's like, does Stanford go there? Does Texas go there? They're looking good. Five is that inflection point. I think all of these teams are in a similar boat right now. This is where I get back to my, I looked up all these teams, best four wins. Cause I was looking for separation. And it's like, again, mm-hmm. Iowa state beat Miami, Michigan beat Pepperdine. No, Michigan lost to Pepperdine, excuse me. Um, but Michigan beat Virginia who beat yep. Duke. Miami lost to Syracuse, which is probably the worst loss of the bunch. Stanford beat Texas, but, you know, again, doesn't also lost to Duke and doesn't have uh, too many signature victories. They're all pretty even and they've all beaten UCF. And I say that lovingly. Um, Yeah, it's like pick a name out of a hat. Iowa State deserves to be in that conversation right there. I think 10 is a little low for them, but I think Stanford, I would probably pick Stanford over them. So I'd probably pick Duke over them as well. And so, again, like I I can't knock the criterion, but Iowa State beat Miami. Like there's your win right there. And so right now, again, really thin margins. You're right. Five's that inflection point from NC State who lost to Miami all the way through to about Tennessee, Texas in that 12, 13 range. That's where things get interesting. And for what it's worth right now, top eight of the computer rankings, North Carolina one, A&M two, Pepperdine three, Georgia four, Michigan five, Ohio State six, NC State seven, and then Duke with that valuable number eight spot. Here's what I would say, though, in our final thoughts on the rankings. Rankings, Jay. Listen to this nine through 16. Texas, Iowa State, Miami, Virginia, Auburn, Tennessee, Stanford, and Florida. Next three teams out Oklahoma State, 
Washington, and Wisconsin. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think you could knock Wisconsin off of that list. I think we're at 18 for 16 spots. Like, I think Oklahoma State should still be in contention for a top 16 spot while they played Michigan and getting that signature victory over Texas. I think Washington, yes, the Vanderbilt win has become devalued, but they beat USC and UCLA and still have the big Pac-12 matches ahead of them. I think those two teams should still be in top 16 contention. I feel like 18 for 16, though, feels pretty good. Yeah, I I'm not looking at the the full list uh, beyond to see if there's any sleepers that could jump, jump the line. But listing those off, those all sound right to me. My sleepers are South Carolina, who I just think is damn good. Like I've just watched a lot of them of late and I'll ride with Ackley Hamner and we'll find two more uh, because Sarah Hamner's getting better and better with every passing match. And Ackley's looked incredible. Yeah. And she's been top 10 all year long. That's what I'm saying. It's the Mavid Minova we're not talking about. I, I think that's it. Like that would be my sleeper looking down the list, like Oklahoma out of respect, but they're not getting there with what their record looks like. I think we're at 18 for 16. Final word. Goes yeah. To you well, this. yeah, I, I'm, I just pulled it up now to see if I could find a sleeper. I think you're right. I mean, Georgia tech, just because they're in the ACC has, wins right if they got you know a win or two in the acc tournament like they could make a big jump but you know i think that's i think you're right 18 for 16 yeah so there we go and with that in mind let's look at the week ahead here to wrap today's show because there are a lot of good matches ahead jay and you know i've organized it on my list i have three tier one trips you tell me what you're looking forward to most tennessee georgia at AM, and we do get that Georgia AM, two undefeated teams left in the SEC women's standings. They're going to do battle. It's obviously a top five battle. You've got Miami making the tobacco road trip. They're at Duke, at UNC this weekend. You've also got Iowa State on the Oklahoma road trip, at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State. Those are my three tier one trips, you know, six matches you cannot miss throughout the course of the weekend. Which one intrigues you most and why? Oh, this is tough. These are such good trips. Those are the tier ones, right? Like those three are all on the same footing in your mind. Yeah. Well, I actually think I like the at Texas A&M and at Tobacco Road ones better than I do the Big 12. I agree, uh, but but <laughs> but just by, here's why I had to put it there. It's because like that is NCAA implications. Like Iowa Huge. State wins in both. We got to talk top eight again. Yeah. So it's more like a little bit of personal preference here. Yeah. I, I I mean, it to me, it's Miami. Come on. No, I want to see Georgia A&M. We wow. didn't get it indoors. Like it. Yeah, a Georgia A&M, because that is top three, top two implications. That one, you know, but I'm very curious about Miami and both those Duke UNC matches. I think they roll Duke, and I think the North Carolina one's going to be very interesting. See, I think this is the weekend Duke starts to look like Duke. And Briz Golova and Schvetz have been racking up matches at five and six. You know, Beck's doing her thing. Mora, How about Beck, Beck Noel? I'll circle that one. That's, That's what, what I'm, I'm most saying. Interested. Individual like, match I'm most interested in this weekend. Come on. Like, sign me up immediately. You're right. Georgia A&M is probably the best individual match. Of course, how, you know, the battle at six, like, yes, they're a player down, 
without Brandstein, but you probably lean Morales over whomever Georgia plays at six this weekend, assuming we don't see Hurdle. And even then, maybe you still lean uh, A&M. Yeah, like Vidmanova at two over Ewing, sure. Yeah. I mean, Stoyana versus Ma, hello. Yeah. Um, they're all really good matchups. Uh, those are your tier ones. My tier twos are Georgia Tech, Clemson at UVA, Arizona State at Cal and Stanford, and just Auburn at Vanderbilt because that could lead to like just combustion of both programs by the end of the match. Like who knows where that match is ending? Well, I know where it's ending. It's ending in an Auburn win. Okay. That's yeah. Fair enough. Can I give you a couple upset alerts? Okay. LSU knock off one of Georgia or Tennessee at home this weekend? <laughs> no. Kentucky knock off Auburn at home? That one has 4-3 written all over it. That one is interesting. That's my upset alert of the week. Um, and then Bama at at Vanderbilt. Does Bama go get the win? Oof. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. how. I, this is not a match I would bet on. I just, ugh. I will say no, but, you know, it's not good we're even speculating about that. Yeah, there are other good ones. FSU, obviously making that trip to Duke and UNC as well. Syracuse at NC State and Wake. They really need to beat Wake uh, again to get themselves back on track. And then Michigan, their Illinois swing at Northwestern at Illinois. Bunch of other good ones on the list, Jay. Anything else you've got your eye on? Any final thoughts on the week ahead? We got, I mean, this is when it really, you know, this is when it really heats up. I think we maybe, you know, that we know we talked about, but the Arizona State swing for both Cal and Stanford, those are must wins for both Cal and Stanford. For Cal to get into the NCAA tournament, if Stanford wants a top eight seed, that one, I'll be in attendance for the Stanford match as well. So I'm biased. Um, Arkansas at South Carolina, those are two really feisty teams. They're facing off. So a lot of good ones. Love to hear it. Well, with all of that in mind, folks, that's your look at the past week in the Division One women's college tennis world. And, you know, with all that said, shout out to me. A little look behind the scenes. I was producing our live show here today, Jay. Other than our screen screw up at the start, I think I didn't mess things up. I think I did all right. Yeah, I think you did as well. Didn't even notice Westoff wasn't here. Yeah, we survived. And a shout out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff, who makes all of these episodes possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at LLS for their continued support to learn more about their expansive catalog. Just click on the link in the description to this podcast. Jay, before we wrap the show, any final thoughts on the past week in the Division One women's college tennis world? No. Yeah, I like it. Well, then, with all that in mind, a shout out, as always, to John J. Parsons, our fantastic returning champion who joins me each and every week. A shout out as well to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, to our dear friends at LS for all of the aforementioned characters. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. And I should, of course, mess. Here's where I've messed it up, Jay, because for all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, here's how we wrap properly. What do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. We will see you all tomorrow night. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.